today we are going to continue our series, Holy Week. We've, if you haven't been with us, or uh, I know there's some people from different parts of the country that are going to be able to join in today and watch with us that haven't been able to see, we've been in a series called Holy Week, where we're looking at the last week of Jesus's life as we lead up towards Easter. And it's been such a gift to look at this in a deeper deeper perspective. Uh, normally what happens is, you know, you'll see a church do, uh, you know, Palm Sunday, uh, they'll preach on the entry, and then on Easter Sunday, they'll preach on the crucifixion and resurrection. And so we wanted to pause, step back, and let's dive a little bit deeper into this week, this last week of Jesus's life, because there's so much that happens. And even in that, we can't cover every single topic. And so, but we've been so encouraged by uh, the last week of Jesus's life and hope that you have been too. Uh, When I was in Bible college, they had um, early morning prayer for chapel. for those that wanted to join. It wasn't required. Uh, and I definitely wasn't as mature at that time. Um, so they lost me on the early morning part. It wasn't my favorite part of the day. Still is not my favorite part of the day. And I wish that I could say to you as your pastor that I was there every time that they had early morning prayer, but I wasn't. I was only there a couple of times. Um, but one of the times that I went, the last time that I went, uh, it was was it was amazing. So I got up really early. It's like seven in the morning, and that, that's early for for me. Okay, so seven in the morning, I get to the chapel, and what they say is they say, okay, today we're going to do something totally different. We're going to have you just lay down on the chairs around the around the chapel, and you could even go back to sleep. We just want to walk around and pray over you. The leaders are going to come around and pray over you. And I think I thought, man, I chose the best day of the semester to come to early morning chapel. Uh, have you ever have you ever fallen asleep while praying? It's okay to admit. Uh, do you ever pray uh, while you can't go to sleep? If you're laying in your bed and your mind's racing and you're, you're praying and then you fall asleep, have you ever had that happen to you? We see uh, as we continue this series, Holy Week, the, Jesus, as he walks into the Garden of Gethsemane, he has disciples with him. And as you know, and if you've read it or if you're going to hear today, um, Jesus goes in to pray, but his disciples couldn't hang. They fell asleep on him multiple times. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 today. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Um, we always encourage you to bring your Bibles with you um, so we can dive into the scriptures together. Let's, we're going to start in verse 32 and read this. It says, and they, and they went to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took, him, took with him Peter, James, and John and began, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again and prayed and saying the same words. Again, he came back and he found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping? And taking your rest, it is, it is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayal is at hand. Beautiful passage of scripture. We are now on Thursday night of the week, the last week of Jesus's life. Uh, we've talked about the Jewish calendar, how a new day started at nightfall. And so we're on Thursday night, late night. Uh, so uh, we see that early in the week, the triumphal entry on Sunday, Jesus rides into, the, into Jerusalem on the donkey. 
fulfilling the fulfilling the prophecies of, of the Messiah coming, riding on the colt of a donkey. We see, as Josh talked about a couple of weeks ago, that, that the cleansing of the temple, that Jesus comes in, he cleanses the temple, and he, he's making his kingship, his messiahship known. Um, and then last week, we talked about the Last Supper. And so they leave the Last Supper. They make their way towards the Garden of Gethsemane. So I want to give you my main idea this morning. It should be there in the notes as well on the, on the comment section there. So if you're writing notes, you can save it or write it down here. In times of pain, close friends, deep prayer, and full submission make the difference. In times of pain, close friends, deep prayer, and full submission make the difference. I have three thoughts that I want us to talk about this morning and work through off of that main thought. Um, number one is this, is that close friends will share in your suffering. Close friends will share in your suffering. Uh, let's look at verse 32 here. He says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. <coughs> Excuse me. And he took with them Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. Now, Gethsemane is uh, on the lower third of the Mount of Olives, on the lower, bottom lower third of the Mount of Olives. Um, you can go to Jerusalem today, probably not today with all that's going on, but you can go to Jerusalem in today's time, and it will take you to what they, they, they say is the Garden of Gethsemane. They don't know for sure this exact garden that Jesus prayed in, but some of the olive trees, even of that time, uh, or even of this time, date back thousands of years to the time of Jesus. That's a beautiful thing encourage you to look it up. But uh, Jesus and his disciples make their way and, and Jesus tells them, I want you to wait here. But then he takes three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. Now, when we think of the disciples, we normally, we think of the 12 disciples and rightfully so, because that's what we hear about Jesus taking the disciples along with him, journeying with these disciples as life goes on and teaching them and discipling them and mentoring them. But even in the 12, Jesus had three that he was relying on for close companionship. This thought just kept coming through my mind as I was studying for this week, is that if Jesus had or even desired close companionship with these close friends, how much more should we desire close companionship with our friends? Maybe this isn't the greatest example because these close friends kept falling asleep on Jesus in his greatest time of need, but... Who is it that you call on when you're facing difficult times? Who is it that you reach out to when you're facing odds that seem insurmountable? Even though they fell asleep, Jesus still had three with them. He still had close companions. Who's with you? I want you to ask yourself that question inwardly, just who is with me? Who are my people that I call on in these times that I can reach out to? Who are you reaching out to when you need somebody to rely on? I think this is where, and I believe this is where the church's beauty really shines, is that we hope and we pray that you are able to find this kind of companionship and, and friendship in our community. As you gather together on Sunday mornings or you gather in your small group, we pray that you are finding close companions. But here's the, here's the challenge of that, is that it takes time, it takes effort, and I, we encourage you to do that. Make time for those things. Find, find your crew that you are relying on that, that isn't just gonna give you their advice, but they're gonna, they're gonna advise you with scripture and with the word, and they're gonna help you in your journey with Jesus. Passage goes on. It says, you begin to become greatly distressed. That word distressed, it literally means, in the Greek, it literally means to be thrown into terror. 
to be thrown into terror. And then the, the word troubled means great anguish. This was no small time of prayer. This was no small moment. This was great pain and agony that Jesus was experiencing as he walks into the garden. Now, there's people in our world that are experiencing great pain and great agony. We see that uh, in different countries like Italy and China and some of the countries in Europe that are going through challenges with the coronavirus and things that are going on. But have you, have you ever felt, have you ever felt in a moment like this, deep agony, deep pain, suffering? Jesus is not some disconnected savior that doesn't know or doesn't understand what you are going through. He gets it more than anybody else that has ever lived on this this world. He gets it. He sees your pain. He sees your struggling. He sees your agony, but he's not disconnected. He's been through it himself. And what what a gift it is for us to have a savior that we serve a God and a savior that has been through it. He's modeled it for us. He understands what you're going through in your pain. And then he goes on and he says, remain here and watch. Be spiritually alert. We would, we would be wise as Christ followers to take heed of the same warning. Now, now Jesus' temptation in this moment could have been to walk away from the cross. Our temptation is going to look a lot different than that. But are we living spiritually aware in our lives? Are we paying attention to the temptation that is around us? Are you allowing your thoughts to rule you? Are you allowing emotion or temptations to to rule you? Are you allowing the scriptures to inform your decisions? Are you allowing the renewing of your mind by the spirit to take over your life? Are we living alert? Close friends will share in our suffering. The second thing that I wanna talk about is that deep prayer is our greatest option. Deep prayer is our greatest option. And it says, verse 35 says, and going a little bit farther, he fell on the ground and, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, growing up, when I thought of this moment of Jesus in the garden praying, let this cup pass from me, I had this picture in my mind of Jesus being really reserved and calm. And like, he's just like, and Jesus, just take care of this God. If you would just let this pass from me. That's like the picture that I had in my mind of Jesus. The gospels tell a totally different story than that. He's saying, listen, he, 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 he goes into the garden. He falls to the ground in agony and distress. Now, if you ever, ever wanted to see the full humanity of Jesus, this is where we see it. To me, this is one of the clearest pictures of Jesus's humanity in this moment. Fully God, fully human. This is humanity, this, this fleshing out right here before our eyes as we read this story. Because here's, here's the reality, a typical Jewish prayer in this setting, in this culture would have been more reserved. It would have been done standing up, maybe with their hands lifted high. But Jesus makes his way into the garden and he falls to the ground in desperation and urgency because he knew what was about to come. He knew what was going to come. That The word Gethsemane uh, in Aramaic means oil press. Uh, in Israel a few years ago, I, I had the opportunity to go there and had an incredible experience in the town of Nazareth. They have this old Nazareth, Nazareth village, one of my favorite spots on our trip. And it's set up much like you would go to an old blacksmithing town or old town in our culture. Uh, in, in Israel, you can go to Nazareth town and you see how it was in Jesus's time. They have the shepherds, they have uh, people weaving and making, making products and uh, creating food. It's just a really neat experience. 
So they talk about the process of how to make olive oil. And I wanted to share that just a little bit. Uh, the workers would pick the olives. They would take the olives. They would put them in a crusher. The crusher was a, a round. Uh, it, was like a, it had like a, a round track in it and a big concrete wheel. Uh, that would go around it, and the donkey would be attached to it, and they would, the donkey would walk around, would crush the olives, seeds and all. It would become like a paste. They would take that paste, and they would pull it out, and they would put it in these woven baskets. And they would take the baskets, and they would stack them 10 to 15 baskets high, and then they would take a press. made on, on one side, it had these heavy weights, and each time they would press harder, more and more weight. The first press, they would press down, and the, the oil below the, below the woven baskets was a, about a two-foot hole that they would collect. The oil would puddle down there. The first pressing was the most precious oil. That according to the Jewish law, they would give their first fruits to the Lord. And so they would take that oil, they would give it to the temple to burn the lamps. And then they would start to press again. They would press the second time, which was a good quality oil that would be used for cooking, foods, uh, perfumes, things like that. And then they would press a third time. Again, 10 to 15 baskets, baskets pressed down again. And that was the, the, worst, the, the worst quality oil they had that would be used for, um, would be used for soaps, uh, things like that in a home. Third pressing, three pressings, Gethsemane, the oil press. I, it's an illustration as we read that and we think through it. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus being in the garden in deep prayer, being pressed each time that he goes in to pray and he's agony and there's, there's distress and there's humanity that's coming out of him in this moment. Not for himself, but for you and I. To be the sinless one, but to take on the sin of the world in this moment as he starts this process of working towards the cross. Three times he was in deep prayer, equal to the pressings of an oil press. And I think it's no coincidence that Isaiah 53 says that he was crushed for our iniquities. What a, what a beautiful picture of God's love for us and his grace for us, the actions that he took to go, the, the links that he went to prove his love for us. What do you do when times are unsure? Is, your, is prayer your last, result, last resort or is it your first option? Whether it be songs or bad theology, <laughs> some of you may have heard a song or a saying like, when you've done all that you can do, pray. Prayer should never be our last option. It should never be after you've done everything you can in your willpower, then go and pray. It should be our first response because it's our greatest option. We see Jesus in this moment modeling for us. He could have sat around and talked with his disciples and said, man, look what I'm about to do. This is gonna be difficult. Instead, he went to the father. He's kneeling down in agony and distress and he's praying, Lord, you just let this cup pass from me. In times of uncertainty, like we're facing now, prayer should be our first response. Prayer for the elderly who are, from what doctors and scientists say, are more susceptible to this disease, this, this virus people that have weakened immune systems, we should be praying for people like that. Prayer for quick response that we get the testing, testing that we need in our country. We should be praying these ways, not going to Facebook and politicizing. We should be going to the Father saying, Jesus, help us in this moment. Help us in our country. Unite us as a country. Calibrate your heart. Prayer, calibrate your heart. So close friends will share in your suffering 
deep prayer is our greatest option. The third thing I wanna talk about is that full submission is our way of living. Full submission is our way of living. I'm thankful that we serve a savior in Jesus that has modeled this for us in such a incredible way as we read this story. What does it look like? What a gift it is to be able to see this. Let's look at verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba, Father, Abba is an Aramaic word that would be used in families um, that, you know, to refer to the father or the head of the household. Almost never would it be used in a sense of referring to God because it would have been seen as irreverent or disrespectful. But in this moment, what it does is it shows Jesus's intimate relationship with the Father. If I had to guess, and I could preach a whole sermon on this to myself, we, we have a long ways to go in our intimacy with the Lord. I think we could point to certain areas in our lives and say, I could give up this and I could give up that just so I could have a more intimate relationship with Jesus. Do you have a closeness with Jesus? There's no secret formula. I wish that sometimes I wish that there was this formula that we could say, if you do this and you do that, it equals the intimacy with Jesus, but it only is developed in a moments of intentional time with him. Spending time with his word. And I would encourage you daily to spend time with this word, not in a legalistic way, but because it's by this word that we are filled, it's by this word that we are fed the very words of God. Jesus says, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Cup or hour are synonymous in the story. If you read that, is referring to the coming crucifixion. Let this, let this moment of crucifixion, I know what I'm, gonna about, I'm about to go through. Jesus, or God, Jesus is saying, God, would you let this pass from me? Is there another way? But Jesus in all of his might and all of his humanity and all the strength that he had showed us what full submission looks like. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will, Lord. There's so much that we can learn from this moment in these words right here. Um, think of my friend, Ken and Diana Lad, our friends, Ken and Diana Ladley, who are watching with us this morning. They gave us such an encouraging word few, a few weeks ago, talking about prayer that a lot of times that we start praying off for what we need before we ever start thinking about what is the will of God in this moment. We can become so focused on ourselves and, 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 and self-centered. We start praying, asking the Lord for all these things and saying, saying, stopping and saying, Lord, what is it that you want for me? Jesus modeled that. Obviously, he's in agony, he's in pain, he's wrestling. And he's saying, Jesus, Jesus is saying, God, God, is there another way? Can we find another way to do this? Can we find, an, can we find the, another cup that can, somebody can take this and, and I can do something different? But Jesus and all of his humanity stops and says, even though I've requested this, whatever you want, Lord, I will do. Not my will, but yours. Jesus's submission was not just words. As we see later in the week when he willingly gives his life up. And I want us to be reminded of that, that no one took the life of Jesus, that he gave his life for us. 
It's easy to read these stories and think, wow, look at all these bad people. Look at all that they've done. Look at the, the danger that they caused. And whether it be the Romans or the Pharisees, like, man, they've done some bad stuff. But Jesus, willing through all of that, willingly gave his life for you and I. What a beautiful gift. Jesus' submission was not just words. I want to read something to you from Fulton Sheen. This book called The Life of Christ. What is happening in this garden moment as Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane? Let's read this for a moment. As Adam lost the heritage of union with God in a garden, so now our blessed Lord ushered in its restoration in a garden. <laughs> Eden and Gethsemane were two gardens around which revolved the fate of humanity. In Eden, Adam sinned. In Gethsemane, Christ took humanity's sin upon himself. In Eden, Adam hid himself from God. And in Gethsemane, Christ interceded with his father. In Eden, God sought out Adam in his sin, in this, in his sin of rebellion. In Gethsemane, the new Adam sought out the father in his submission and resignation. Re, re, resignation. In Eden, a sword was drawn to prevent entrance into the garden and thus immortalizing evil. In Gethsemane, the, the sword would be sheathed. What a beautiful picture of what's happening right here in the garden. What we saw in Eden take place and sin into this world and death and destruction in Christ right here in this moment, bringing in and ushering a new, a new covenant. What a beautiful picture. In times of pain, close friends, deep prayer, and full submission to God make all the difference. Let's look at the latter half of this passage, verse 37 through 42. And he came to them and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may, enter into, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the, the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. It's a good note to think they just came from this heavy meal, long meal, late in the night, the last supper. They go to the garden. What happens at Thanksgiving every, every time, right? You eat this big meal, you sit down on the couch to watch football, and you don't see anything of it. How disciples are heavy-eyed, they're sleepy, their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what they did not, did not know what to answer him. And he came to them a third time, and he said, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? We see in this moment three times, Jesus went to pray, and three times he came back, and his disciples were sleeping. What do you do when you have the friends, but you don't feel like in this moment you can't count on them? Or they haven't, they weren't there and for a certain situation. What do you do in that moment? My encouragement to you would be to cling to Jesus even more. Cling to Jesus even more. Because it's in him, it's in Jesus that we find our strength. It's in him that we find the model for full submission, for deep prayer and close friends. It's in him. And so why would we cling to anything else other than clinging deeply to Jesus? I would encourage you this week to take this passage and to chew on it, to think on it, to meditate on it this week. What does this passage mean for you? Do you have close friends that you're, they're, they're willing, you're willing to count on? Do you have a deep prayer life? I know for me, I have so much to work on in my prayer life. Do we have a deep prayer life? And the third, are we in full submission to the Lord? 
What is it that you've been holding on to that the Lord's been calling you to do? Maybe even sounds crazy. Maybe even sounds like, man, people are gonna think this is ridiculous. That you haven't fully submitted to him. I believe that we have people that are watching today that God's calling you to plant a church. God's calling you to missions. God's calling you to some form of ministry. He's calling you to a new job, but you haven't fully submitted to him. Where are you not submitting to him? Saying, yet, yet not, I, not, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. What a, what a beautiful picture of submission. So meditate on it this week.